infinite and great God, we thank you today that you have called us to be holy. We thank you today that you are holy. We thank you today that you have chosen us and set us apart holy in you. Lord Jesus, may we take account of our relationship with you, of who we are. And today, may we consider our lives and how we live. Consider our minds and how we think. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us and in ways and in things that are not holy before you, that you would cleanse us of them and restore us to yourself. Great God, I need your help this morning as I open your word. I pray that you would guide me, guide my words and my thoughts. May each one of us here this morning hear your word, that we would not be distracted by the cares of this life, but that in this time we might be sober and gird up the loins of our mind as we understand and seek to understand and apply your word. We commit ourselves now to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you to the Fleming family, the appropriateness of that song and the passage as we've come here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to this letter? Much of that song is based upon the two verses following the primary verse we're going to look at this morning. But it's a perfect consideration because it's where it leads. This morning we're going to look especially at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. This verse is fascinating because this verse is a transition verse. It's a transition from all that has come before, all that has already been written in this letter, and it is to prepare us for what is remaining in the letter. It's a key verse. It's a verse that is very important for every one of us to take note of, to understand, and just to be blunt, to wake up. I'd like this morning, though, as we look at verse 13, to look there and start there, and then to go back to verse 1 and read in its entirety from verse 1 down through chapter 2 and verse 10. For it is really the first section, the transition verse in chapter 1, verse 13, and then the second section of this letter. So follow with me. Let's read first verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back and read it in context. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, and not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, way of life, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him to believe in God, 
that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious." But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. These beginning chapters of this letter begin with an introduction from Peter, a greeting in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3, on down actually, all the way through uh, in verse, into verse 12, uh, some would make the distinction at the end of verse 9, but it's a benediction, it's, it's a praise, it's a thanksgiving of our salvation, of our inheritance. So we've looked at that before, haven't we? We've seen that we have an inheritance, and this inheritance is the salvation of our souls. It results in us a hope. We've seen, and as is illustrated in verses 10 down through 12, this salvation, this grace that is manifested at this time is so incredible and amazing and wonderful that the prophets of old and we're talking of old before Peter, 
wrote of these things, prophesying of these things, and were so intrigued and fascinated that they actually studied their own writings to know more and want to understand more of what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, had inspired them to write. That's how awesome our salvation is. Not only that, our salvation and the grace that is poured out upon us in this time is so incredible that the angels desire to look into it. The angels are fascinated by it. And that's saying something. Because angels are created beings who minister to God and are in his very presence. They're described in one place as ministering spirits beholding the face of God. And these beings who have such an incredible privilege of beholding the face of God desire to look into the details and the incredible wonder of our salvation. So the foundation here has been laid in this introduction, this benediction, this, this, this glory. It's really all summed up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a praise to him for our inheritance, which is our salvation. Incredible. Now, some of you are tracking with me, and, and, um, and, and some of you are having trouble staying awake. And I understand there's reasons for that. But, but I'm afraid I'm going to start preaching at you in a minute, so you better wake up now before I, I, I have to tell you to wake up in a few minutes. Because verse 13 is a wake-up call. That's exactly what it is. It's saying, considering everything that's come and everything I've just told you about. That's what the word wherefore means right there at the beginning of verse 13. Wherefore is a transition word that says, take into consideration everything I've just written to you. And what does he say to do? The primary verb here in this verse and in this transition is the word hope. But there's some other things that complement it. The primary one is hope. Considering all of this, you have a lively hope that's in Christ Jesus, and let that lively hope not falter and be mature and complete till its full completion in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope. But as you are hoping, there are things that are going to get in the way of your hope. And so, he's basically saying, wake up. He doesn't use that word. Instead, he uses two other concepts. Look with me. Verse 13, it says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first is here, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, to be candid, we probably don't know what that means because we don't have this in our culture. We don't gird up our loins. What's being described here 
It's the garments. We actually learned about it in the Bible hour this morning. Elisha had called one of the sons of the prophets to him, and he said to him, gird up your loins and run to Ramoth Gilead and anoint Jehu. So what did that servant do? Well, in that culture and at that time, and not just at that time, there's cultures still today who dress in this way, they would wear long robes, long robes. Under those robes, they would wear breeches, pants. And these long robes would be flowing. And you would be going throughout your day, and if you were going to run to Ramoth Gilead, that would be kind of hard as your stride would be limited by however much you could spread your legs in that robe. And so if you're going to run to Ramoth Gilead, you would take that outer robe and you'd pull it up and you'd have a belt and you'd tie it up to give you freedom in your legs. It was a preparation to do a job it was a preparation to do work. And so you are going to run. What are you going to do? You're going to gird up your loins. You're going to take that long flowing robe, you're going to bring it up, and you're going to tie it about your loins, tie it about your waist so that you're ready to do a job. And so here he says, using that picture, not to gird up your garments. He says to gird up the loins of your mind. Your mind. This is something that is actually very important in the Christian life. And it has to do with how we think. Do you know it's important how you think? It's important how you think all the time. And considering your salvation, so keep this in context. You have this inheritance, which is your salvation, this lively hope that you have. And considering wherefore you have this, what's the first admonition? Gird up the loins of your mind. Pay attention. What are the, how do you think and how do you understand and how do you perceive Life And what do you anticipate in life? Your mind is the place of your reason, your intellect. It's one of the areas in which Jesus said is the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, what did he say? With all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. So often our mind wanders our mind falls asleep. Our mind wants to be amused. And what this is telling us is that when we recognize that we have an inheritance and that we have a salvation and that we have a lively hope, it should cause us to wake up our mind and for our mind to become active and ready for duty. Get ready to run a race. Now, some of us, our jobs themselves are on the mind. Sometimes I just wish I could just mow lawns all day. Now, some of you mow lawns and you think, I just wish I could sit at the desk like pastor all day. We actually kind of need to compliment each other. We need to balance each other, really. 
There's so much. The reason I, I, I enjoy lawn mowing is because it's, it's an exercise and it's an opportunity where my mind is free. So often it's free. And it can think. It's, it's very, very, very enjoyable to me. Um, but sometimes in my category of a day of life, so often I spend all day with my mind my mind's loins girded up and the intensity of thought day in and day out. There's times when I get home and I sometimes have trouble shutting it off. And there's other times where I, I struggle, um, I, I shut it off so much more than I ought to. And this is something we have to be aware of. What does our mind do? How do we use our mind? How do we occupy our mind? Think of it. I think all of us have had experiences where we've had a hard day, we've had a long day, whether physical or mental or both, and we just want to think about nothing. Or we want to be amused. You know what amused means? It literally means no think. Do you know that? Amusement parks. They're places where you're supposed to no think. That's what amused means, no think. Well, this doesn't say to be no thinkers. No, this says to gird up the loins of our minds. It means we need to be paying attention and preparing our minds to think through life. And then it says, be sober. What's that mean? Well, the word sober is, comes from at least two different Greek words. And um, oftentimes, when I bring up the word sober, and you've heard me talk on the word sober in other contexts, it frequently is tied to the idea of having understanding, paying attention, understanding something, not having your understanding or your judgment clouded or in, or in any way diminished. That's the idea of so, being sober. Oftentimes in English, we think of it and associate it with not being drunk. And generally in the New Testament, that's there, but it's more so in the positive side of things. It's not so much don't be drunk, it's more so think. Be paying attention, think. Have understanding, know what's going on. Most of the time it's positive. But it's fascinating because just as it is in English negative, has that negative idea of not being drunk, here it does too, but it's a different word in the Greek. But it carries that idea here of not being drunk. It carries that. It still has the, the nuance and the idea of having understanding, and it's coming right after the command to gird up the loins of your mind. So it's still about how you think. But it also has to do with not. It's in a, it's in a negative sense of not being influenced by things. To illustrate, there are times in which people, rather than girded up the loins of their mind to prepare to engage life with urgency, with the mental capacities that God has given us, rather turn to the bottle, turn to drugs, turn to pornography turn to immorality, turn to books, 
and a lot of other things that are both evil in and of themselves and in some cases not evil in and of themselves. But they are habits and things in which people go to so as to not gird up the loins of their minds and to specifically numb their senses. The exact opposite. In fact, one of the illustrations of how this is actually used in the scripture is actually sleep. And if you think about it, sleep is actually a good thing and sleep is an important thing in our lives. But there's also an aspect in which there's laziness tied with sleep too, isn't there? And some will run to that rather than try to deal with their issues. So this, this command of be sober is a, is a warning to say, don't, when you have difficulties in life coming, that threaten the whole idea of your inheritance, when you have these problems that arise that threaten the hope that you have in your salvation through Christ Jesus, when, when life is not going right and it's not the picture-perfect Christian life, that's the time to gird up the loins of your mind, as all times are, and it's definitely not the time to lull yourself to sleep and slumber with whatever happens to be your thing. We so often can look at the drunkard and say, oh, how shameful. But do we not do the same thing with our own pet things? that in and of themselves may not have any evil, but yet in their misplace and how we use them to dull our mind and our senses accomplish the same destruction in our minds. Peter is writing to the saints, to us as saints in Christ Jesus, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end. You're going to be tempted to lose hope, to lose faith. Don't. Hope to the end. This hope is not just an aspect and an idea of continuance of time. It is include that. It's, but it's not just that hope of time. It's the aspect of having a complete hope. A hope that is full every day every day, every moment, to the end. And that doesn't come by amusing ourselves. That doesn't come by dulling our senses. It comes by when we are attacked in our minds to gird up the loins of our minds to be sober and to look to Jesus and his grace he has guaranteed us, his grace he has promised, and his guaranteed promise of coming again. That's our hope. That's our focus. That is our priority. So let us consider our salvation, which is our inheritance. Let us consider the lively hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And wherefore, considering all of this, let us Gird up the loins of our mind. Let's think. Let us be sober and not allow our minds to be lulled or insensitized, but to rather hope. Do you see it? This is the transition. 
This is the transition to the rest of the book. You've got to put your thinking cap on, as we say. That's the modern colloquial, if we were to write the modern um, interpretation. This is a literal translation. Um, some Bibles you'll see try to interpret this. I think it's wiser for us to just translate it. It's literally translated, gird up the loins of your mind, because that's what it's written. That's what it says. We need to keep that. But it's the idea of, put your thinking cap on. It's the idea of, prepare yourself to think. To think. Do we do that? Do we do that? It's fascinating because this idea here of sober is brought up later on in this same book. Turn with me over to chapter 4. So here we have it right at the beginning of this transition from this glorious description of our inheritance and salvation to be sober. But then if we look over at chapter 4 and verse 7, notice it again has to do with the timing. There's a timing aspect here. And what it says there is, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now this is interesting. Do you see the word sober here? This is the word that comes from the Greek word that means to understand. To understand. And the word used back in chapter 1, verse 13 for be sober is here translated watch unto prayer. Wake up! You see, this is what Jesus called to his disciples to do. There's trouble, there's problem, there's... What's going on? What's going to happen? Jesus is telling us that he is going to be betrayed this very night. And we go to the garden to pray. And Jesus says, pray with me. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And he comes back, crying out to them, appealing to them, wake up! Wake up! Don't let your minds now be lulled to sleep! whether by exhaustion, or that was their case, or, or by any other means. Wake up! Watch unto prayer. Do you see it here? Yes, there is this idea of how we think, be sober in our understanding, having our understanding, but then it goes on. Watch, watch unto prayer. The word is used again in chapter 5 and verse 8. Really, it's hard for me to read verse 8 without reading the verses before it because if you try to jump in right at 8, you're in trouble. you got to have the verses before it before you can get chapter eight, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Remember the commands, be careful for nothing? being full of care, care, careful. This is an idea of something going on in our minds, right? Something going on in our minds. So when we find ourselves full of care, we need to cast all our care upon him. That requires us to gird up the loins of our minds. It doesn't mean that we say, okay, God, take care of this and go off to our little thing of numbing our senses. No, no, no. This is casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, is to gird up the loins of your mind, recognizing and knowing that he cares for you, so that's why you can cast all your cares upon him. 
And then we have this word sober in verse 8. Be sober. Wake up. Don't be lulled to sleep by anything. Wake up. Be sober. Be vigilant. Watching alert on guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Much of the message of 1 Peter is wake up. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think. Pay attention. Watch. Do not lull yourself to sleep with anything. Be alert. Because we are in a battle. You know what? We have a big issue in our modern day of conspiracy theories. Don't we? Did you know there are conspiracies? Right here, one's being described. This is the conspiracy theory that we in our homes need to be alert to and on guard to. This is the theory that we need to be focused on. We've got a salvation. We've got an inheritance. We have a hope. Why would we let the roaring lion into our home? Why would we let him meddle in our minds? Why would we? He's out to deceive us. He's out to destroy us. Which leads to other questions of conspiracy theories. Beware of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. I just admitted that there's one right here. It's a conspiracy that's been going on since, since the Garden of Eden. When Satan deceived Eve. You'll hear conspiracy theories about the Illuminati. I'm not going to talk about the Illuminati, but I'm going to tell you this. Whether or not there's an Illuminati really doesn't make a difference to me. I know there's a roaring lion and his demons who are a whole lot more powerful than any powerful men sitting in a room somewhere. And this is a conspiracy to be alert to, on guard with, to pay attention to. And to be blunt, Many conspiracy theories that permeate our world right now are smokescreens of him to distract us from what he is really doing. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be sober. And the conspiracy theory you need to focus on isn't really the devils. <laughs> it's really the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. You do realize Peter here speaks of that in the in days there will be scoffers who will arise and say, where is the promise of his appearing? Ah, oh, you know the world considers us conspiratorialists of the worst. I mean, think about it for a moment, our conspiracies. We believe that there's a God is that a conspiracy? To many it is. But we know by faith it's not a conspiracy. It's true because we have an inspired record who reveals God to us. 
It's not. If we have a reliable source, that's one of the hardest things with conspiracy theories. What sources do you use? <laughs> to be candid, it's one of the reasons I don't waste time with conspiracy theories. Because I don't have enough time to understand what's revealed to me in this book to spend the time on those things. The promise of his coming. You know another conspiracy theory we all have? Jesus rose from the dead. For a moment, perceive life in your theology as a rationalist and one who reasons. One who will only evaluate things by the scientific method, empirical science, which is actually kind of another topic where I don't want to go into, but a lot of science nowadays is falsely so-called. It's not empirical science. It's scientific philosophy, and it's not even scientific in that regard. But, but think of it. Is the resurrection there? Christ's resurrection? I mean, to, to the rational mind, that's a crazy, wild conspiracy theory. How could you be so crazy to believe that conspiracy theory? But we do, don't we? In fact, let me tell you, that's a conspiracy theory we need to be talking about every single day. Which is another reason why so many of the other conspiracy theories are not worthy of our time. Because if we don't have the time to talk about this great conspiracy, why would we waste any time on any lesser conspiracy? We have the resurrection. We have the promise of his coming again. Our time needs to be filled with spreading this conspiracy. This is not a conspiracy. It has been revealed to us by the most reliable source you will find anywhere. Even the scientific articles that follow impeccably the empirical scientific method are not as reliable as the source that you hold in your hands. Wake up. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Many things distract us in this life. Amusements distract us when we may find ourselves sitting on the couch and being amused by a screen, whether in our hand, on our desk, or across the room. Are those things lulling us to sleep when there is real conspiracy within our very homes? We may find it harmless to be watching that video on such and such a conspiracy theory, or let's, let's just not even, let's go away from conspiracy theories. I mean, just, I like, I like, I like music. You, you, YouTube knows what I like, so I keep suggesting more, more videos of orchestras all around the world for me to watch. By the way, they do the same thing with conspiracy theories. You start watching conspiracy theories, and that's all you'll get fed. Um, but they, they know that about me. But am I letting those videos, in some ways it's not a huge issue at my house because I don't have good internet connection at house, but then that causes me to work here. Am I letting those things distract me when there's real conspiracies going on? I may have that device, and I may be looking at something that's harmless, maybe a waste of time, but harmless. But what are my kids in the other room looking at? but I'm too distracted by whatever it is. Wake up. 
I need to gird up the loins of my mind. I need to be sober. I need to hope to the end for the grace. That's God's unmerited favor, what he has given to us to empower us, to deliver us, to hope in. And looking for his return. There are conspiracies. Again, thinking of that other command of casting all your care upon him for he careth for you, leading right into the question of the devil. You see, so often, fear and cares and troubles rise up in our minds and our hearts. This is real for moms and dads. This is real for older young adults that aren't married and want to be married. It's, it's real for, for children who have their passions and desires, just like we do. They have their fears and their concerns just like we do. They have cares. We have cares. And when we have these cares, do we gird up the loins of our mind, casting it upon the Lord? Do we watch in prayer? Do we hope to the end for the grace of God that shall be fully revealed when Christ comes? Or do we lull ourselves to sleep? Dear Spirit of God, move among us. Lord, you know what's in each of our hearts. You know what that thing is. Reveal it. And Holy Spirit, renew our minds. Show us that we need you. love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He calms us, doesn't he? He's the one to give us perspective. Perhaps you've sensed in my voice and tone exasperation, frustration, carefulness, burden, there is. There is. Dearly beloved, this is real. We have an adversary. And we have to wake up. Let us run to our God every day. Let us hope in him every day. Let us be alert. May God give us wisdom as we lead our own lives and as we lead our children. The reason why verse 13 is so important is because this is how it continues. Wherefore, 
Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is way of life conversation in our talk and in our walk, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And then call upon the Father. Let's do that now. Let's take a moment and just call upon our Father, who is one who is without respect of persons. He judgeth according to every man's work. Let's go to him, because watching, being alert, girding up the loins of our minds and being sober and hoping will result in us praying. Let's take a moment to quietly in our places pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come before you and that we can cast our cares upon you. Lord Jesus, help us in our families and our lives. We yield to you. May we watch always and always hope in you. We praise you now. We worship you in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may I leave with you the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch 
and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. He's given it to us all. All we need be is yielded and surrendered that his spirit may fill us and bring forth fruit in our lives.